Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by pastoral resident Ian Mulraney. Then the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no children. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scripture or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. This is Lord of Lord. So, when I was growing up, I was given the impression that if you, when I got older, I was going to find the one. And maybe you guys had that idea too. You can hit this next slide, please. Yeah. Walt Disney fed me a lot of stories that told me all I needed to find was the one person who would break the curse and I could live happily ever after, right? Those are the words that we always use, happily ever after, to end a fairy tale. It usually happens on a wedding day or when they, the boy and the girl are riding off into the sunset together on a horse. And so if you're like me, that might be how you kind of thought life would go. That you'd find the one and you'd live together happily ever after. But maybe your life took a different turn. Maybe before you found the one, there were a couple duds along the way. Um, Maybe you're still searching for the one. Maybe when you and the one were together, uh, there were... A lot less tears at your wedding ceremony and a lot more tears your wedding night than you had written about in your diary when you imagined that day. Maybe after that special ceremony day, life continued and happily ever after was filled with unexpected diseases, financial troubles, uh, deaths, fights, arguments, car problems, maybe even messy breakups and divorce. Our society promises through our stories that all you need is that special somebody and then life makes sense. Then it's happily ever after. But what Jesus tells us is that there's actually something greater and more important than just romance in this life. Marriage is good. It's not your savior. That's what we're going to talk about in this passage this evening. So, if you turn with me to Mark chapter 12, 
starting in verse 18. Yeah, thank you. So a little context of what's going on in this story here. The Sadducees are um, some of the religious leaders who work in the temple. They're priests. But what makes them so sad, you see, is they think when you die, that's all there is. (laughs) But Sadducees believe in God, but they don't believe in eternal life, in life after death. They think once you're dead, it's done. You go to the grave. Maybe you're not conscious. It's over. And they don't believe that there's a resurrection of the dead. So where we join Jesus in Mark chapter 12 is it's towards the end of his um, ministry. Um, It's actually during Holy Week. The cross is just a few days away. And so the religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus in his words to find a way to turn the crowds against him or catch him in something that they can get rid of him for. And so a couple people have tried to trap Jesus in scenarios so far and have struck out. And now it's the Sadducees' turn up at bat. And here's the, uh, the logic problem they bring Jesus. And so the thing that we need to keep in mind is like Scotty said in week one of this uh, marriage and sex series on what Jesus teaches, is that uh, there's really no time in the Gospels where Jesus sits down with the disciples and is like, here's the five things you need to be the best husband, right? Most of the time when Jesus is talking about marriage, it's actually in response to people's questions or people's challenges. And marriage is usually not the thing that he's trying to teach them about. So as in this instant, uh, the Sadducees are trying to trap Jesus in a question about life after death. And so that's what Jesus is really focusing on here. But marriage does come up, and I think there's something we can still glean from it. So they say, teacher, Moses wrote that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but no children, that the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. So last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Checkmate, Jesus. Am I right? If the resurrection, if there really is life after death, who's this woman going to be married to? Because she was married to seven people. That doesn't make sense. God couldn't figure that out. So checkmate, there is no life after death. Whether you agree with the Sadducees' logic or not, Jesus' answer is profound and maybe a little intimidating for us. He says, aren't you in error because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? When the dead rise... They will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. In fact, he goes on now about the dead rising. Haven't you read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. The lesson Jesus gives the Sadducees is that the kingdom of God is bigger than individual relationships. We tend to overemphasize marriage, but what is most important is that the power of God 
is able to bring dead and broken things back to life. That there's a greater power than, uh, than romance. That there's a greater power than true love with a certain person. And I think we get that mixed up just as a culture, but also as the church sometimes. I think sometimes uh, we in the religious community need to take blame for putting too large an emphasis on marriage. Um, For example, I was really surprised this week as I was preparing for this lesson that And if you go back to the law of Moses, you know, Jesus says the Sadducees are in error because they don't know the scriptures. That's a little dig because they're priests, so they should know the scriptures. But I went back to the scriptures, which was the Old Testament for them, and was looking at what does it actually teach about marriage? And the answer is, like, surprisingly, not that much. I was really shocked to think about, like, the fact that in the law of Moses, there's nothing about what you should do for a wedding ceremony. Like there's nothing, like here's what you need to bring to the priest, you need to say these things, yada, yada. The Old Testament tells you more what you should do if your house has mildew in it than it does if you're getting ready to marry somebody. That's kind of surprising. And um, if you go to any number of Christian bookstores, if you just go to the religious section at Barnes & Noble, you'll find the shelf chock full of books on Christian marriage, Christian dating, Christian relationships, right? We value and have a lot of teaching on what to do in our marriages, what biblical uh, relationships look like. And yet, God seems to not have given us too much on the ways we should go about it. Um. Yeah, like this passage in particular, the one that the Sadducees bring up. I bet you, I'm not sure because I haven't perused them all. But this is from Deuteronomy chapter 25. And what they're challenging Jesus on is that, uh, starting in verse 5 in chapter 25 of Deuteronomy, it says, If brothers live together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law. And the first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sure if you go to a Christian bookstore, you're not going to find any book saying, talking about biblical marriage as marrying your uh, dead brother's spouse, right? Sometimes we overemphasize the things that God, or we think things are more important to God because they're important to us. But the kingdom of God is not just about marriage. It's about life-giving power and resurrection. Marriage is important, but it's not of ultimate importance. Yeah, thanks. It's not your savior. Marriage cannot bring you back from the dead for eternity. So before we move on from this point, I just want to say... uh, That just because Jesus says there is no marriage in heaven, again, this passage is about uh, resurrection, right? And he's talking to the Pharisees. He's not trying to teach average people about marriage. So it's unclear. He doesn't say we won't 
recognize our spouse in heaven. He doesn't say that you won't still be friends with them. Um, He doesn't say anything regarding sex or things like that. There's lots of different opinions on that. Randy Alcorn says that maybe there might be a form of sex in heaven. Uh, C.S. Lewis would say that maybe we get worried about is there going to be like marriage and sex in heaven because we're like children playing in a mud puddle, right? And we're having a great time in the mud puddle, but then our parents come and say, pack up your things, get in the car, we're going to the beach. We say, I don't want to go to the beach. I'm having a great time in this mud puddle. Marriage and sex are really good and fun things, but maybe because we haven't seen the other side of eternity, we can't imagine how great the beach is because the mud puddle is really fun. So I don't know. Um, That's not what this passage is meant to teach us. But it does help us to realize that sometimes we can overemphasize the importance of marriage in our lives. The importance of relationships that we can think that, you know, my curse, my brokenness will be fixed if I can find the one. Have you ever done that in your life? Have you ever thought that if you just found that one person, everything will be fixed When I was 16, my very first girlfriend, I remember praying to God one night after youth group that I loved her more than I loved God. And we dated for four months, and I haven't talked to her in 13 years. It's immature, but that's how we can be sometimes. (laughs) Like, sometimes we think just other people are what we need to find happiness and security and feel good about ourselves. So when's that happened to you? Marriage is good. It's not your savior. But before I go dragging marriage through the mud, hi honey, um, before I drag marriage through the mud and make it seem like it's, there's no value or benefit to it at all or you know that God doesn't care about it, it actually is, marriage is good. Like that's one of the points. Um, And in fact, when God was creating the world, when he was making heaven and earth, he created trees and birds and plants and fish. And he said everything was good. And then he made Adam in his own image. And he said, this is very good. But the only thing that he said was not good in his original creation was that Adam was alone. And this is pre-fall, right? Sin had not entered the world yet. Adam walked with God every day. And yet, Adam was seeking something that even being in relationship with holy God, God said, this is not good that he's alone. And so he made for him his wife. So there is goodness in marriage. It's not good for man to be alone. I think this picture... It might be a little cheesy, but have you ever felt like that? Like, have you ever just felt that weight of emptiness and just longing for companionship or human connection? I believe we all have it. I have a theory that inside of each and every single person, we have a desire for two things. We want to be fully and completely known, and we want to be unconditionally loved. That's my theory. 
We want people to know us inside and out. We want to be able to share our ideas. We want to share the cool things and the stupid things that happen to us during the day. And we want people to love us. We want to just have unconditional love. And the problem is sometimes we're afraid those two things can't go together. Maybe we can be unconditionally loved, but we can't fully be ourselves. Or maybe we'll be fully known, but then people won't love us because we're too broken or evil. This is actually going back to Genesis. This is what happens, right? Adam and Eve are together and they're walking in the garden. They're naked in complete vulnerability and intimacy with each other and God. And what's the first thing they do once sin has entered? They make clothes for themselves. They hide in shame. Adam says, whoa, there is a lot of hair growing in my belly button. And if Eve sees that, she is not going to want to see me ever again. So he puts on a shirt. You know, I'm sure that's probably the first time in human history when Eve was looking at herself in the reflection of the water when she said, does this make me look fat? Right. Shame causes us to hide from each other causes us to hide from God. We want to be fully and completely known and we want to be unconditionally loved and shame says that we can't be both of those things. And so this is where marriage is actually a huge benefit in this life. It's a playing ground. It's a practice ground where we can actually Uh, live out both those truths. We can be with somebody in a completely vulnerable and intimate state where they know us completely and they can, um, uh, like that's what the marriage vows are for, that we're going to love them and they're going to love us unconditionally. That no matter how bad or wicked or evil, no matter how many times you leave dishes in the sink, they're not going to love or leave and abandon you. And so that's where marriage is at its best, is when it's imitating the relationship that the gospel provides us of just complete and utter unconditional love, where we do not have to be afraid and hide. And so because we're this side of heaven, marriage is broken still. Relationships aren't perfect. Marriage is good, but it's not your savior. We still need Jesus And we still need to keep our eyes on God. And that's where I want to turn us to next is that um, I took us to the beginning of marriage. I'm going to take us to the end. Now, Jesus says we're not going to get married in heaven, but there is a marriage in heaven, right? Revelation 19 says, hallelujah, for the Lord God almighty reigns. Uh, Let us rejoice and be glad and give God glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And again in chapter 21. Then I saw new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer a sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, 
and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And they all lived happily ever after, right? God God is our happy ending. And so as, um, as much as I love Amanda and love being married, it's going to be a day where I'm not going to need that intimacy that we have because thanks to Christ, the new order of things is going to come and we're going to have a world where all people are in that complete, whole, loving relationship with God um, and each other in perfect harmony and peace. There's no more tears. Sin has been eradicated and we can just be one in God and Christ again. So, we still got a little bit before that comes, at least as far as I know. Maybe today's the day. We'll find out. But as far, as long as today's not the day, we still are on this side of heaven. And we're all in different places in our relationships. Some of us are single and looking. Some of us are happy and single. Some of us are dating. Some of us are married. But I think that no matter where you are in relationship with another human being, in romantic relationships, I think there's a couple things that we can, that I think are important for us to be practicing here and now uh, until that time comes. Uh, the first thing is what I've been saying all along. Look to your Savior. Make Jesus your number one priority in life. And sometimes that can sound vague and whatever, but um, just really be, don't be like 16-year-old me. Love Jesus with all you are. You know, seek the kingdom of God first and all things will be given to you. If you're hoping for a happy marriage or just good things with the kids, like usually when we, you know, this, this is true sometimes when we're trying to figure out problems, uh, like math problems or things like that. If we're focused really hard and concentrating really hard, you screwed up a lot more than when you're focused on something else. If you're seeking Jesus, he's going to give you everything else that he knows that you need in this life. Um, so yeah, so run towards Jesus. Uh, if you're married, hold on to your wife's or your husband's hand as you run. If you're single and looking, grab the hand of the person running closest to you. Just be moving towards God. Um, the second thing is be in community. Um, don't just be somebody that either cuts themselves off from the world or pairs up with somebody and cuts themselves off from the world. This is where I think the church has an advantage over uh, people who are trying to do life on their own. Um, community is great in just helping us get an outside perspective on things when problems arise in marriage, when we are dealing with loneliness or shame or things like that. Just having people who love and care about us, uh, who can help us do some of this loving us unconditionally and knowing us fully. Um, that is not just romantic relationships. Uh, Amanda and I, when we were first, uh, we knew each other for a couple months, but it was through Amanda's roommate, who was also in one of the Bible studies I was part of, uh, that really told us we would make a great couple together. And she kind of match made us a little bit and you know who knows how things would have gone if she hadn't uh gotten involved i think we still would have found each other but she certainly speeded up the process um 
people have, you know, people love you, people can help you. And sometimes to keep yourself from just dwelling in anger and shame, you need to go to other people. So don't be afraid to find counseling. So Jesus, or counseling community, Jesus community, and last of all is grace. Grace is important for any relationship to work. You need to be able to give grace and you need to be able to receive grace or else it's just going to fall apart. Um, Another Amanda and Ian example. We sold our car recently, Amanda's bug, and we've been driving my car everywhere. So we've been sharing a vehicle. And I've been noticing the last few days and weeks how much garbage Amanda leaves in my car. How much... Uh, coffee cups, uh, shopping bags, just all this gross stuff that every day when I take the car, I have to like clear out all this junk from my car and throw it away. When I brought this up to Amanda, she said, well, what about all the papers and Happy Meal toys and other things that you have in the car, which I can't stand? We need to have grace for each other. And we need to have compassion and love because sometimes if I'm just focusing on what the other person is doing wrong, I can have a plank in my eye and forget that I'm also not perfect either. Uh, I need to be able to receive her grace. I need to be able to show her grace. And we also need to have grace for ourselves. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm so ugly or I'm so unlikable, you know, that nobody can love me. But like Gary Sermon last week, you know, God sees us as fear may. Like God says, you cannot be one bit better. He died for us. He loves us. He can't do anything more to prove how much he loves us. And so how arrogant do you have to be to think that you're the one person that God could not have love for, right? I say that because I need help showing grace to myself sometimes, but have grace for yourself. Have grace for your partner, and really everybody, because Jesus has shown you grace first. But grace is like the key ingredient in relationships if you're looking for that. And so marriage is a good thing, and it's an important thing, but it won't save you. It won't break your curse. It won't uh, give you your happily ever after. But Jesus will. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.